announce, man, I did this at Pew Packers, but I realized some weren't here for this. But we've been covering various facts with the young people, and we've been going over books of the Bible. And we just made some bookmarks for Genesis and the facts that we've covered in Genesis. I believe there are 18 to 20 things on here. And if the young people can go home and study these with their parents, and if they can come up to me or Neil or David or any of the elders or anybody and recite everything on here without any help or any aid, I have a reward for them, a prize of some sort. And so my goal is eventually to cover every book of the Bible with our young people. They can give you, hopefully, 10 to 15 facts, a summary of what the book's all about, and to um, get it in their hearts. Now, if some of you who are not so young, we would call you just seasoned folks, want to do these, you can do them too. I don't have any treats for you, but you can still... You can still do it. It'll be great. So maybe you weren't here earlier and maybe you're watching this later and you weren't here tonight. But just want to encourage our young people to do this. Even if you feel like sometimes you can't make it to Pew Packers where you come from a distance, it's a little too early. Want to encourage you to come to that. But even if not, to get one of these and let's get the book in our young people's hearts and just help them to know the word of God better. When I was thinking about this lesson, I was riding in my car and this idea came to me to preach this sermon. But since I was driving, I couldn't stop to write down this sermon idea. And so I figured I would just speak it into my phone. Help someone I know has lost their faith. But what my phone typed out on its own was help someone I know has lost their face. And I thought, well, if that happens to them, there's really nothing I can do about it. And then I thought that's exactly right in a sense. Because if someone who was once named the name of Jesus Christ and has walked in the light and done their best to follow and serve him turns away, There is a sense in which the person has lost their face. They've lost their identity. The loving brother or sister or husband or father, faithful Christian, former deacon or elder that we once known is no longer there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith is our very identity. And so if someone turns away from that, there's a sense in which they've lost both. They've lost their faith and their face. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody who was once faithful once loved the Lord, enthusiastic about his work, an involved member of the kingdom of God, and now this person is turned away from God. You know, the Bible says it's a great thing when a person becomes a Christian. That's an exciting time to obey the gospel and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that baptism, it's not the end, it's the beginning. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 2, everyone who's in me who doesn't bear fruit, the Father cast that individual away, but the one that bears fruit, He prunes them and they continue to bring forth fruit. Sometimes we say, well, if we could just get them baptized or just get them to the church building. But I want you to appreciate tonight that as great as those things are and as biblical as those desires are, it's only the beginning. And so what happens when people that we know, people that we love and care about, they walk away from the Lord? What can we do about it? What is our responsibility, if anything at all? You know, one thing we could do is do nothing. Just sort of stand back and say, hey, people are people. People are going to make their own decisions and just kind of throw up our hands and just let people drift their own way. A second thing we could do is to say the wrong things and in so doing cause irreparable damage that actually may make things worse. But we've got to be better than that. And so Second Timothy two twenty four down through 26, Paul says the servant of the Lord must not strive or quarrel or argue, but be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient. And in meekness, instruct those that oppose themselves, that perhaps God might grant them repentance to acknowledge the truth and that we might recover those who have been taken snare by the devil, taken captive by him at his will. There is something that we can do. And what I want to do tonight is to help us to go on this journey together. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert on how to recover individuals who have fallen away. I don't. I just know people that I love and care about who are in this condition. 
And I want us to see tonight what does the Bible say about it, because I believe the Bible fully equips us and fully furnishes us for every good work. And so we want to make four brief points tonight and to say, hey, here's the reality of what we face. Here are some examples of it in Scripture. Here are some of the reasons people fall away. And then the last thing I want to do really quickly tonight is give you sort of a grocery list of things that we can practically do. I want this to be as practical and down to earth as we can make it. What can we do to help people to come back? There are three mistakes you can make as you hear this lesson tonight. And I just want to get these out of the way before we even begin. I want to give you these three errors that you can make tonight as you hear this lesson and that I can make as I preach it before we ever begin. Mistake number one, you could be thinking about somebody who's left the faith and you could be saying to yourself, even now, the situation's so dire, the circumstances are so drastic, there's just no way this person's coming back. You could view this individual as being in such a special condition that it it would be astronomical. It would take so much. There's just no way this person hire my appreciate it, but they're just long gone. And you could put them in the category of being exceptionally apostate, which would be a mistake. In so doing, you would render yourself ineffective to put into practice the things we're going to talk about tonight from the word of God. Mistake number one is my loved one, the person I care about, the person I know, they just can't be brought back. But here's mistake number two. This sermon's for somebody else. All of my children and all of my loved ones are safe. And as true as that might be, it may not always be. People that are faithful today can become unfaithful tomorrow. This sermon is not for the other guy. It's for you and it's for me. People we love and know that we believe are strong and mighty in the Lord can turn away. And then these principles will mean more to us. And then the third and final mistake that we really want to avoid tonight is to say, well, everybody I know and love is faithful to the Lord. You know, sometimes people say everybody in my family is a member of the church. I find that hard to believe. But even if that is the case, if everybody, you know, is faithful to God tonight, you don't know enough people. If everybody you love tonight is where they should be in Jesus Christ, you don't love enough people. No, a lesson like this is for every one of us. What can we do for people who have once known the way of righteousness, but have since turned away? Let's go on tonight briefly and look at four things. Number one, this is the reality that we face. Turn your Bible to Galatians chapter five. The Bible says that people need to obey the gospel. And that's right. And that a person that does that can continue faithfully to the end. You know, Colossians 1 and verse 23, we're studying Colossians on Sunday morning. Neil and I are co-teaching it. And one of the verses in the opening chapter of the book of Colossians in verse 23, Paul says that God's reconciled us to him. If we continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul says, listen, you've been reconciled and God will present you blameless if and only if you remain faithful. But that's not always the case. Now, this catches some people off guard, this reality that people can willfully turn away from the Lord, but it must not catch us off guard. The church in Galatia or the churches in the area of Galatia, they had problems with these Judaizing teachers coming in among their ranks and teaching them things contrary to the gospel. And in so doing, many of them were about to turn away. Notice chapter five and verse four. Paul says, whosoever of you would be justified by the law. You've severed yourself away from Christ and you have fallen from grace. Paul said it was possible for these Christians in the churches of Galatia to live in such a way that they could forever be lost. He says you're severed from Christ. Whosoever would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Before we can see how to help people, we need to appreciate this reality that it can happen. People can so live as to turn away from the Lord. The book of Hebrews dedicates 13 chapters to this very idea, warning the Christians that made up those churches 
to hold fast. Turn your Bible to the book of Hebrews. I should have told you this before, but we're going to look at a few passages tonight. And I want you to turn to several of them and just put your eyeballs on these passages. Look at Hebrews chapter two and verse one. I just want us to appreciate at the outset the reality that we face that when people are baptized, they can drift away. Hebrews two and verse one, the Hebrew writer says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should just let them slip. It can happen. In chapter three and verse 12 of the book of Hebrews, he says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You know, I baptized a lot of people, at least a decent amount. And you've been at several baptisms yourself, I'm sure. People come out of the waters of baptism and they're excited. You say to them, how do you feel? Well, I'm refreshed. I'm excited. I'm happy. They're almost identical to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 and verse 39. They're ready to go on their way rejoicing. I've never baptized anybody who's come up out of the water, dried off. We assemble for prayer at the final amen. They say, you know what? This has been great. I'm so glad I've done this. But in two months, I'm out of here. See you later. They don't plan to do it, but it happens. And it's the reality that we face as people of God that people can and sometimes do fall away because they choose to. Peter uses vivid imagery. In 2 Peter 2, 20 through 23, Peter says it's like a dog that just throws up and then goes back and eats it again. It's like a pig that was washed returning to his wallowing in the mire. Maybe that's what Jesus has in mind in Luke 12, 47 and 48, when he says the one that knew his master's will and did it not, they'll be beat with many stripes. So it'll be more severe because they knew better and they turned away. But people can so choose to do the idea that people are once saved and always saved. That once you obey the gospel, you can forget about ever apostatizing or turning away from the Lord. It's just not biblical. But here's why I want to encourage us. Because as much as we talk about the doctrine of once saved, always saved being false, there is the reality that we can be once saved and be always saved. It doesn't have to be that we turn away from the Lord. Sometimes we make it too easy for people to fall away. Just because you're struggling does not mean that you fully turned away from the Lord. If we walk in the light, the fellowship is maintained even in our shortcomings. If we add to our faith virtue and virtue, knowledge and knowledge, temperance and temperance, patience and patience, brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness, love. Peter says, if these things be in you and they're abounding, you won't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll make your calling and election sure and you will never fall. You don't have to. But it is a reality that we face. We should appreciate this because when it happens to people, we say, well, how could this happen? And how could it happen to them? You know what school they went to? That doesn't matter. And you know who their parents were? That that won't make you guaranteed to be safe either. Do you know how much Bible this person knew? That doesn't matter. The reality that we face, and I don't mean to scare us tonight. I just mean to give us the reality biblically. It is possible. For everyone who's ever named the name of Christ to so live and choose of our own volition to turn away from that way of living and say, I want to go in a new direction. And so your loved ones, whoever you have on your mind, the person you care about. And I've got people on my mind tonight, too. It's what the Bible says is a reality that we face when we decide to become Christians. Now, here's number two. They're not the first. Whoever you're thinking about tonight, they're just not the first. When Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse nine. The thing that has been is that which shall be and that which has been done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. People have been falling away from the Lord as early as Jesus Christ walked on the earth. And so Judas in Acts chapter one, Peter is assembled with the group of 120 and they're selecting somebody to take his place. 
And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 25, the text says, Peter, or Judas, excuse me, fell from his own habitation. The old King James says, Judas by transgression fell. He made his own mind up that he was going to go in a different direction. And he fell away from the Lord. Now, before we rush past Judas, I know that the Old Testament prophesied his apostasy. The Old Testament says in places like Psalm 69 and verse 25. And Psalm 109 and verse 8, that there would be a disciple of the Lord who would turn away from him. But Judas still had a choice. God did not violate his free will and make him do it. But Judas fell away. Can you think about all the good things that Judas had going for him? He was hand selected by Jesus. Luke 6, 6 through 12, the Bible says Jesus prayed for him all night. He had miraculous ability. Mark 6, 7 through 13, Jesus sent all of the apostles out on the limited commission, laid hands on them and gave them power to do great signs. Judas was in that number. He was with the apostles. He saw things Jesus said in Matthew 13, 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. You've heard things and saw things that people long before you desired to see and didn't see. Judas was in that number. And still, Luke 22, 48 says, Judas, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? He did. But it's not just Judas. There's a man named Demas. In the New Testament, he's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Go ahead and turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and notice verse 10. And what Paul's doing in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at the end, especially beginning in verse 9, he's giving Timothy some of the whereabouts of his companions. He's saying, hey, Titus has gone to this place. Cretans has gone to this place. And I want you to know where everybody is. But then in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, he says, do not look for Demas because he won't show up. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he's departed to Thessalonica. Demas' name is mentioned two times before this in the New Testament. He's in Colossians 4, 14 and Philemon 24. But now at the end of Paul's life, Paul says he's fallen away. He's abandoned me. He's turned away from me because he loved this present world. And he went back to Thessalonica. We don't know a lot about him, but here's what we do know. He was one of Paul's companions. Paul was probably the greatest preacher in the first century. I would say that he is outside of Jesus Christ. He did unusual miracles and Demas saw some of that. He's mentioned twice in the New Testament as a special co-worker and servant of God. But none of those things kept Demas from falling away. Can you imagine him going back into Thessalonica? And the Thessalonians seeing Demas, this time not as a preacher, but as a man who now needs to be evangelized himself because he no longer believes or at least doesn't practice the things that he once believed. He now needs a Bible study. He was Paul's co-worker and he fell away. Here's the last example. Go to First Timothy chapter one and notice verse 19 and 20. Now, these two individuals out of all those we've mentioned, we mentioned Judas and Demas. But these two individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander, are probably the least known of those that we can consider who've walked away from the faith. Paul tells Timothy in this passage, beginning in verse 19, that he should hold fast to the faith with a good conscience because some have swerved away from the faith and made shipwreck of it. And then he says there's Hymenaeus and Alexander, and he's delivered them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. These men, I don't know who they were. We don't know much about them, but they once were faithful. They turned away from the Lord. And Paul says, I just gave them up. I said, that's the way you want to go. He delivered them over to Satan. Both men are mentioned again. Hymenaeus is mentioned in 2 Timothy 2.17, and Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.17, his teaching eats away at people like gangrene. If this Alexander is Alexander the coppersmith of 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, Timothy, stay away from him. He has greatly withstood our words. These two men not only walked away from Christianity, but they started to actually preach and teach against it and do things to distract other people. There have been examples down through time 
of other people who've walked away from the Lord. The last two points, we want to be extremely practical, but I just want to start here and say, number one, this is a reality that can happen. And number two, there are examples in scriptures. Why do we start here? Because sometimes when we talk about people we love who walked away from the Lord, Christians are just far too hard on themselves. I know parents who know Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't. I believe that passage. I just know that it's not in every case prophecy. It's a proverbial statement of truth. And sometimes parents say to them, oh, if I did more devos, if I would have just been more faithful, maybe, but maybe not. It's not always the parents. fault. who's the best parent, you know, the best parent I know is God Almighty. And God says some of his children are not doing as they should. And it's no reflection whatsoever on him. That's not to say that those that are raising children now take it easy. No, we should do all that we can to be faithful to God. But we shouldn't pour salt on the wounds of those who did that and whose children of their own making and decision chose to walk away from the Lord. These men that we've mentioned in these examples couldn't have had greater spiritual influences. Paul and Jesus and the rest of the twelve. And they still chose to walk away from the Lord. And So it's an individual's choice. We shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. We shouldn't say what we could have done. Maybe there was something we could have done, but maybe we did all we could do. And they made the decision that God lets every individual make to follow or to turn away. There are examples of script in scripture, of people that did that very thing. Now, here's where we want to go with the remainder of the lesson. Number three tonight. Why do people fall away? Go to Galatians chapter five and notice that Paul was interested in why people were slipping away. And it's right that we ask these questions. And then I want to give you six things that I believe are sometimes reasons for why people fall away. It's important that we diagnose this or at least try to figure it out. When Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia, he felt them slipping. He had questions for them. The first one's in chapter three and verse one. In Galatians 3 and verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That is, who's cast the spell on you? Who before whose eyes Jesus Christ was purely or evidently set forth as crucified. He's saying, who came in and tricked you and led you away from the truth? You knew better. I want to know why your faith is slipping. And then in chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Paul wanted to know what were the reasons for their drifting. And when we think about people who have drifted away, we would do well to try to figure out what is the cause. If we get the reason wrong, our prescription may be wrong. Now, this list isn't exhaustive. And you may look at this list that I'm about to show you, these six reasons why people fall away and say, well, I know somebody who's fallen away and that none of those reasons fit them. And that might be right. But these are the reasons that I thought of, of why people fall away. And then we'll conclude with what we can do about it. Let's go through the list. Number one, emotional reasons. We undersell this one. We think, well, people, they've got problems. Everybody, everybody's got problems. Listen, people fall away from the Lord sometimes for emotional reasons. In Mark chapter four, when Jesus told the parable of the soils, you remember that he says some of the seed is sown on the path and the devil just comes and snatches it up, snatches it up. But some of it's on rocky soil and things. Ha- and then it just comes up. They, they're worried about different things. And sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes they're driven away because of things that happened to them. Somebody they know that was a Christian. Let them down. And they say, well, if that's how Christians are, then I just can't be a part of that. I'm, I'm walking away from the Lord. I'm just not going to be a Christian. If if Christians are going to let people down, I put my trust in this preacher or this person and it can be emotional. But it's not just that. Sometimes things happen. I prayed for this result. I prayed earnestly for it. God didn't come through. And if the God I serve is going to be that way, then I just won't serve him. And they're done with God because 
there's emotional ties. They're frustrated. Their prayers weren't answered. Things didn't go the way they wanted. And they just can't fully give themselves over to Christianity anymore. And so they're done. Sometimes it's emotional with people in their minds. They can't make sense of the faith that's let them down emotionally. I'm not telling you it's right. In none of these do I mean to diagnose them immediately. I'm just putting forth the reasons why it happens to people so that we might be able to at least sympathize with them before we try to help them. It is sometimes internally people are let down. They're frustrated or the faith cuts them off from things that they've now started to believe. Maybe this is right. Maybe this lifestyle isn't so bad. Maybe this sin is not so ungodly. And if this Bible condemns it, well, then I'm just not going to go with the Bible because I've got friends in these sinful circumstances and I'm emotionally tied to them. And I, I just can't break off those relationships. Now, here's number two. Sometimes it's intellectual reasons. And I've got this in quotes because this is the person whose professor has basically cost them their faith. They claim to be intellectual, and that's why they, or maybe they've got a Ph.D. in YouTube and Google studies. Maybe they've watched so many videos, and they've watched so much stuff. Now, I mean, they're just smarter than everybody else. And you know, this one scares Christians the most. I've met people, and they say, listen, I really want you to work with my cousin or my brother or this person, but I'm, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. Oh, he's very smart. Oh, she, this person's Britain. Nobody in our family. I mean, we just can't deal with this. They're so smart. They know so much. They're beyond our ability to reach them. And some people believe that they're just so smart. They're, they're too smart for Christianity. It's like Job said to his friends in Job 12 and verse 2. Truly, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Job was rolling his eyes probably when he said that. He was trying to say, you all don't know everything. And some people, they feel like, well, I've read some books and I've watched some stuff. And I used to think like that, but I'm past Christianity now. Sometimes people fall away from the faith because they're entangled with the world. This person, they don't they're not mad at anybody and they haven't watched anything. In fact, this third person, if you were to go to them, they might say that they are Christian. They would say, listen, everything's fine with me. I'm perfectly okay." but they're just not really on fire or zealous about their faith anymore. This is Mark 419, what Jesus described as the thorny soil. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and then the desire for other things. This person in the third category, they're just too worldly. Between working and vacations and hobbies and other interests, they just don't have time for Christianity. They didn't mean to fall away. It just kind of happened. They're not mad at the faith. They claim to love the Lord. They would consider themselves Christians. But we know better. And they've just been entangled with the world. It's just it's just wrapped them up. And now they're they're catered. They don't they never come to worship. It's always next week with this person. And as soon as they can get this settled, they'll be there. They're caught up. For people sometimes fall away because of a different kind of faith. This is the person who now has a different religion. Maybe it's a world religion. And they would say, hey, listen, don't worry about me. In fact, don't even pray for me. I'm better off now than I've ever been, they'd say. They, this person in this category would say to you, they're as set as set can be. Maybe it's a word religion, but maybe it's denominationalism. And now they're convinced. Listen, they know things about God now that they never learned when they were practicing New Testament Christianity and churches of Christ. Oh, no. They know Jesus on a level now that is so deep. Their faith is so vibrant and real. They've graduated. And the last thing they need is to come back to what they would consider has stifled their ability to grow closer to God. But remember. We never grow closer to God by drifting further away from his word. And so Paul would say in 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Hold on to that. Don't change. But this person's fallen away because of a different kind of faith. Number five, this person thinks too much of themselves. This is the person that maybe has drifted away because they said, you know what? I've done so. I, I know what I should have done, but I didn't. And I just can't come back. 
I've committed adultery. I've messed up with my kids. I've I've just done so much now that I'm pretty much a lost cause. I've just mailed it in. Paul would say about himself, he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent man, guilty of unbelief, but he obtained mercy. He was the chief of sinners, but he obtained mercy that in him, Jesus might show a pattern of long suffering for everybody after him who would believe. Nobody's too bad, but these people think they are. And then the last person falls away sometimes because of their affiliations. First Corinthians 15:33, Paul says, evil companions, corrupt good morals. You would say about somebody in this category, oh, they were faithful until they got with those folks. They, you know, he was here all the time until they got married. And then this person is too caught up in affiliations to really be faithful. And so they've got to choose sometimes between other individuals and Jesus Christ. And Jesus loses 10 times out of 10. And so their affiliations have drift, caused them to drift away. None of these are made up. All of them are biblical. And why people sometimes drift away from the Lord. I'm just saying to you that there are different reasons. And before we can launch in and say we need to help people, we need to first understand Let's pull this person away from the Lord. Now, here's the last thing I want to do tonight before we extend the invitation. How do we help them? In James chapter five, go ahead and turn to James chapter five and let's notice verses 19 and 20. And then I really need to make my way through this final list quickly to extend the invitation. In James five, James says at the end of his book in verse 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth or wander away from the truth, And one recovers him or converts him. Let him know that he which recovers a sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So far as I know, this phrase here, save a soul, is the only time it's used in the New Testament. We talk about evangelism as saving a soul. I believe we do. When we go out and teach a person the gospel who's never heard it and they're baptized, I consider that soul saving. But James also calls what we're talking about tonight, going out and catching people that were once Christians, that were once faithful. When we bring them back, James says that means to save a soul from death. And as they repent of their sins, it covers a multitude of sins. How do we do it? I believe I have 11 of these. And like I said, I wish I could spend a lot of time on each one of these, but I'm just going to go quickly tonight. Now, you may not do all of these, but I hope you do some. You may not want to do some of these. You may say, that makes me really uncomfortable. I just can't do that. I'm just going to tell you, if we do nothing, nothing will change. If we think they're a lost cause, they will be. What can we practically do for people we know that know better? That aren't being what they should. Let's begin. First thing we need to do is listen well. Proverbs 18, 13 says, he that answers a matter before he hears it is a folly and a shame to him. Do you know why they fall away, or do you just think that, you know, we would do good. We do well to listen to people and find out why. If we don't, we run the risk of diagnosing the problem the wrong way. What we think is behavioral may not be. It may be the case that they've got mistaken notions about God, and as they explain things to us about God, as we just listen, we may back up and say, I don't believe in that God either. I don't know who taught you that, but that's not the God of the Bible. We should listen first. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, He that answers first is right in his cause until his neighbor comes and searches him. They may say some things that are true and accurate, but we should listen well. We should try to sympathize and figure out, not justify their unfaithfulness, but just try to listen to their plight. Why are you away from the Lord? What's going on in your life? We need to become better listeners. Before we can dispense information and lay biblical facts and truths on them, we need to just sit with people and try to figure out what's going on. Here's number two. Ask them good questions. It's one of Jesus' favorite ways to teach. 
He would say to people in Matthew 22, 41 through 46, what do you think about David and whose son is he? Or he would say in Luke 10, 26, what's in the law? How do you read it? If we want to recover people who've drifted, when you talk to them, ask them good questions. I mean, the deep questions. So why did you walk away from the Lord? And what do you think happens when you die? Do you still believe in God or what about the Bible? And you need to be asking them questions and listening for their response. And when they respond, make sure you got it right. So are you saying, am I hearing you right? And if you could even get them to do this, to say, would you just boil it down to one thing for me? Just one major thing. What's wrong with you and your relationship with the Lord? Can you explain it to me and try to figure it out? Ask them good questions and try to get to the heart and listen. Probe them with questions. They probably a lot of people's reasoning for why they're done with the Lord and Christianity sounds good in here, but not out of here. And when they start to hear themselves say the things that they've been thinking about, they may very well think again. The last thing the devil wants them to do is think, but it's the first thing we've got to get them to do. And that happens when we have the courage to just simply I'm not talking about browbeating anybody. I'm just saying let's probe with questions. And so why don't you go to worship anymore? And why did you walk away from the church? And are you sure that you believe that now? But what about the Bible passages that say, I just want to know. I want to ask you good questions and hopefully it'll make you think. Here's number three. Serve and love them well. That should say Matthew 26 and verse 50. You remember, that's the occasion when Judas is approaching Jesus. And the first words out of Jesus's mouth toward Judas in Matthew 26 and verse 50. The very first word Jesus says to Judas, he knows what's about to happen. Jesus calls him his friend. He says, friend. Why are you here? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. But even in that moment of betrayal, Judas was a friend. If you know somebody who's not all they should be and they've drifted away from the Lord, do not postpone your love toward them. I'm not telling you to engage in or approve of any unrighteousness or any sin. I'm just telling you that the great command to love God with heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself still applies. They are your neighbor. And even if they turned away from Christianity and become an enemy, they're still not out of bounds because Matthew 5, 44 to 47. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you and persecute you. Love and serve them well. If they call you and need your help, you get there. You be the first person to help them. You do everything you can. To continue to be a help. The time may come when those good deeds may be the very thing that draw them back to Jesus Christ. But even if not, Christians are to do good to all people. Galatians 6.10, especially those that are of the household of faith. Next, invite them to dinner. There's just something about eating with people that drops people's guard and allows you to have in-depth conversations with them. Jesus did it all the time. When Jesus wanted to have detailed and deep conversations with people, most of the time in the Gospels, he did it over a meal. When he called Levi or Matthew to be a disciple in Matthew 5, 27 through 32, the next thing he's doing is he's eating with all the tax collectors. If you're going to charge Jesus with anything, Luke 15, 1 and 2, this man receives sinners and he eats with them because he does. When Peter had fallen away, you remember, I don't know him. I don't know him. I swear to you, I don't know the man. When Jesus wanted to restore Peter, John 21, he did it after they had eaten. John 21, they ate that breakfast on the beach. It was always after dinner or during. Invite him over. Invite him to lunch. Have a meal with him with no agenda just to see how they're doing, to check on them, touch bases with them. Number next, remember the basics. You may say, I'm just not smart enough. I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer all the questions. Listen, as a Christian, there are some basic things that you and I just need to continue to rehearse and cycle over in our minds. Because in the end, the reasons why people drift away are ultimately very basic. And you and I need to make sure that we know what we know about the basics. Who is God? 
Is the Bible the word of God? Is Jesus the son of God? Why does God allow evil and suffering in his world? Does God answer every prayer? And what happens when good and righteous people pray and they still hear no? These basic apologetic arguments are going to come in handy. Know the basics for yourself, because when people say, well, I don't want to follow God anymore because of these various reasons. We might be able to save ourselves and those that hear us. First Timothy four sixteen. Remember the very basic things that we sometimes take for granted because it may help to bring them back. I don't know what number this is. It may be five or six. Somebody's counting, though. Somebody says six. Kelly, we can count on her. All right. Don't compromise. Oh, this is a big one. Well, my kids, you know, they're not faithful anymore, but they're in town. So I'm just not going to come to worship Sunday. Don't do that. You can't afford to do that. They need to see your light shining. Matthew 5, 16. Don't come. Well, I went this morning. Well, they're coming in time. And you know, this is my only time to see the grandkid. I'm just not going to go back. You must not compromise. You've got to be faithful. Galatians 2 and verse 5. When they tried to get Paul to circumcise Titus to go along with their error, Paul said we were not in subjection to them even for a moment. You must not compromise the faith, but instead hold to it. You can do that without being self-righteous or holier than thou. But we must not compromise. Because if we compromise, there's nothing to win a person back to. Be convicted, be kind, be Christ-like, but refuse to give in. Number seven, strengthen your own faith. As you try to win them back, don't lose your own faith. You keep reading the Bible. You keep studying and being sure. This project of trying to win somebody else back sometimes consumes people. And in so doing, their faith becomes weaker and weaker until it just erodes. Paul would say, He that thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. Galatians 6, if a brother or sister is overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore them. How can you restore them if you're not spiritual? We must remain spiritual ourselves if we hope to help them. Be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 is a famous verse about being ready to give an answer for everybody that asks us a reason of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. And we sometimes take this verse to mean be ready to tell them everything about Christianity. If they ask you, know the Bible well to give answers. But that's not what Peter says. He says, be ready to answer when they ask you, why do you still have the hope you have? You know, the time may come when this person may say, why did you stick with Christianity? And why are you still? I mean, you don't still believe all that. And when that moment comes, Peter says, be ready to give a reason for why you still have hope. You've had prayers that have been denied. You've had things that haven't gone your way. You've suffered and been mistreated. Why do you stick with it? When that time comes, be ready to say, I've stuck by him because he's been faithful to me. Polycarp was a disciple of John, and it said that he was killed in the first century. And right before he was killed, they said, we'll give you an opportunity to recant your Christianity. And you can live. He was an old man. And right before they killed him, Polycarp's last his famous last words were, Eighty and six years I've served my Lord. He has never failed me and I will not fail him. You see, Polycarp was ready when they said, why have you stuck with Christianity? He said, I just can't quit on a God who's never quit on me. Church discipline. Now, this one may not be fully in your control, but I think we overlook this one. Paul told Timothy about Hymenaeus and about Alexander. He handed them over to Satan. And there comes a time when this must happen. If a person just persists in unrighteousness, first Corinthians five and verse five says, deliver them over to Satan that the flesh may be destroyed and the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There comes a time when a person is living in such flagrant sin that the church has to say, you know what? We are no longer going to continue to have fellowship with you or to approve of your behavior. We're going to pull away from you. Somebody says that's harsh. That's mean. It worked in Corinth. It's what God commands us to do to hopefully try to save a person's soul and shock them back to their spiritual senses to see how serious it is. 
Pray. Pray fervent prayers. Pray the challenging prayers that God would do whatever it takes. Cause whatever needs to happen in their life to bring them back to their spiritual senses. Pray that God would awaken them. Luke 22, that's what Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail you. But when you're converted, you might strengthen your brethren. Pray that whatever needs to happen in their life would happen. You may be away from them. They may be states away. Pray that God's people would shine bright where they live. That they would work in circumstances where they be surrounded by God's people and hopefully see the light of Jesus Christ and be brought back. Pray for them and pray fervently. And this is the last one. Know your limits. You may pray and study and be ready to give an answer and do all of those great things to try to help them. You want them saved. You don't want them saved more than God does. The Bible says in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11 that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he wants people to turn from their ways and live. First Timothy 2 and verse 4, God says he desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And as much as God wants that, God's not going to get what he wants because everybody is not going to be saved. This isn't good news. It's just the truth. And you and I must learn our limits as it relates to this subject. We, as long as there's life, there's hope. As long as a person's drawing breath, we should do everything we can and cycle back through these things over and over again. But be reminded of this. You do have limitations. And you can't jump in somebody else's skin and live for them and make them do the right thing. You can pray and study and be as kind and Christ-like. But the reality is, in the end, though all of those things have been done, as much as people have turned their back on God, they may do the same with your spiritual and Christ-like advances and say, I want nothing of it. I've decided to go this other way. And in the end, they may choose that way. But you and I must know our limits so that we're not broken beyond repair when people choose what God says that they can. Brethren, if any of you are overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in the spirit of meekness. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Brethren, if any of you wander from the truth and one brings him back, let him know that the one that brings back a sinner from the air of his way, he'll save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Evangelism is about people who have never obeyed the gospel becoming Christians. But it's also about retrieving people who did once upon a time and now have walked away from the Lord. Maybe you know somebody who's done that and you want to try to help them come home. I hope this lesson has given you something to think about. Maybe you need the prayers of the church in this regard. You say, look, I've tried everything I know to try, and I would like the church's collective prayers for this person that I care about. Pray for me that I might have the wisdom and the words to try to help this individual and to hopefully bring them back to their spiritual senses. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to try to help you to do that tonight. If you've been studying the gospel and if you've decided that you believe that Jesus is Christ and you want to submit to him in obedience to the gospel by being baptized to have your sins washed away, we'd love to help you to do that. If this is your invitation, if we can help you in any way, come now as together we stand and as we sing.